Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here for the next episode of the Free Zone Frontier, and I'm here with my partner in arms, Steve Krein, and Steve is a Free Zone entrepreneur, if you ever met one, and today we're really delighted to have a member of the Free Zone program here at Strategic Coach, is Paul Abel. Paul has a very, very colorful past, which we might get into, but his present and future is really what we're going to talk about today and the really remarkable kind of collaboration that he's done that I think will strike a lot of entrepreneurs is very, very unusual because he's doing collaborations between his entrepreneurial company and a lot of corporations and very, very powerful corporations in sort of the financial industry in terms of like payroll companies. And it's just a fascinating story that he's got to tell of how he put this together. Remarkable for two ways, both from the backstage, how the backstage of his company works, but also the front stage and how he actually takes advantage of the huge capabilities of other companies to multiply his own results. So really great to have you with us, Paul. I know I got you up at a proper time here. You're usually ragging me because I get you up on East Coast time, but this is an East Coast time that actually works for you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And, and the colorful past was not jail, okay? So just want to make sure. <laughs> it could have been dangerous, though. It, it was dangerous, dangerous, but it wasn't It wasn't jail. So, yeah. so thanks, Dan. Good to see you. Yeah, Steve, Steve, before we started, I sent over a little outline of my understanding of Paul's business. And what was your first take when you walked through what I think I've captured, and we'll find out whether it was accurate or not as we go through the the interview. But what really struck you, first of all, because you're a great connoisseur of other people's business models, and I just wondered what you saw really kind of fascinating in what Paul has created. Well, first of all, I think what you articulated in the impact filter or the fast filter, I think, summarized what over several years now that I've been in sessions with Paul, he's been trying to convey. I think he did a really great job of outlining <laughs> not only Paul's business, but really the unique way he goes about collaborating with other people and how he's taken what I think many would think is a stodgy backstage challenge or problem companies have and turned it into something of a pretty incredible process that not only is interesting in its own right, but how he built it is even more interesting. Yeah. Can you sort of take us back to the starting gate with this, Paul? Sure. You know, just where you were, because you had, you know, been born in South Africa, you had lived in Israel, Correct. and then you moved to San Diego, and you were part of a family business. Correct. So, you know, we can reflect on that, but I'd like to start where the start is for you with Paul out there in the marketplace, sure. you know, creating his own future. So born in South Africa, grew up in Israel. Family business was Burger King. As you've diagnosed me as a simplifier, quick start, usually people with my DNA don't have structure. And it's interesting when you look back and you go, what has made me successful today? Most probably were the years that I spent in Burger King understanding structure because there's a manual, you got to do things a certain way and it's all paint by numbers. And secondly, I served in the Israeli Defense Force. And again, lots of structure. 
But I also realized that I don't do well in structure. So I'm always wanting to change things. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that until the age of 40, by the way. And I didn't know I was an entrepreneur until the age of 40. You know, that's another thing that I'd like to mention is a lot of people out there just don't know they are. So I was in the family business. I built out a brand called Brugger's Bagels and built out 15 locations in San Diego. And we had about a thousand employees. You know, I dealt with government regulation and I always lost. I always <laughs> lost. I never won. And every time that you think that you're ahead of it and you're sitting in front of the land, I never intentionally try to do anything wrong, but there's always wrongful termination, harassment prevention issues, injuries. My day was dealing with employee-related issues. And I had an injury, and that's where the idea came about for the business I'm in, is I had a significant injury when an employee had a, a finger amputated in a bagel machine. I'm smiling because, you know, the joke is that we did sun-dried tomato bagels that day, but that's not what we did. <laughs> you know, I thought I did everything right. You know, we called the ambulance, we performed some first aid, called the workers' compensation carrier. Next day, I get a call from OSHA, which is the government mm -hmm. agency that regulates safety in the workplace, and said, hey, we have to inspect your facility because you had a significant injury and amputation. I said, come on in. At that time, the family business was close to 100 restaurants, you know, which average unit volume was over a million dollars and franchise. So you would think that, you know, we've got it all buttoned down. And the guy shows up, and this is California specific, and he says to me, are you aware that you needed to notify OSHA within eight hours of this injury? And I said, no. And he said, well, you have posters up, it's on your posters, and I didn't have posters. My first aid kit was empty. And that's when I said, if I ever start <laughs> another business, it's gonna be 100% to inform employers what they need to do in order to avoid fines and lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And that's what I started doing 15 years ago. Yeah, and one of the things that really strikes me is that if it was one government body that businesses have to deal with, it's not, it's like four levels at a minimum. You know, you have federal, you have state, you have county, and you have city. And then there's industry specific regulatory bodies. I could hire you, Dan. I could hire you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the thing about it is that it seems to me that there's two major problems before we get into your solutions here. One of them is just sheer complexity of rules, you know, rules and regulations. And the other one is timeliness. You have to be up to date with your understanding of the complexity. So that seems like two major, what I would call bigger problems of the future. In other words, people say, what's your prediction for the future? I said, if you think things are complicated now, wait till you get out another 10 years, they're going to get a lot more complicated because that's just the nature of the world that we're living in. Steve, you said something very, very interesting, and it's that God, it sounds like you have a really boring business. <laughs> yeah. So what was it that kind of struck you about that? You know, you see, you know, posters for, you know, government regulations. That doesn't really sound like a hot idea. Well, there's two things. And Paul, the way you described how many times you went up against government lost, the complexity that Dan just, you know, simplified the issue to. But, you know, I think very few entrepreneurs get excited about 
HR, administrative, government regulation, signs you got to put up on a wall, all that stuff. And a lot of entrepreneurs either delegate it out or assume that their lawyer or their CFO or someone will take care of it if they have one. I think I might have even said this to you on a breakout one of the times we were on in the coach sessions, which is I think there's an underestimation you have of how little time people spend thinking about it and how your experience dealing with it is comforting and relatable. And all of a sudden, it becomes real as you start to articulate that you weren't always who you are now. And I think that's the juxtaposition I think is interesting. It is not like a 40-year career you have in HR, compliance, regulatory, and all that. It's something that's come along later because you dealt with that experience. So, you know, as that entrepreneur just building out your bagel shops, that was very relatable. That's so insightful. And, you know, two things that I'd like to just recap. One is the government's job is to release new laws and regulation, but it's the employer needs to know that the government did it. It's not the government's job to inform the employer. So there's a a breakdown in communication there. The second thing is that I have one goal, and that's to help employers avoid fines and lawsuits like I did. One mission. And I've never swayed in 15 years from that one mission. And all my competitors in the solutions that I offer, and when I say solutions, they, they all came about from a filing cabinet with lawsuits. That was my R&D. I had a filing cabinet of all the lawsuits. We had harassment prevention lawsuits. We had OSHA lawsuits. We had different time and labor lawsuits. So my whole business plan was a filing cabinet of lawsuits. My competitors are in the printing business, and they just happened to print a poster. I'm in the business of helping employers avoid fines and lawsuits. Yeah. 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 Big difference. I was walking past, there's a new Starbucks that went up in my neighborhood literally last week. And I was fascinated by watching it because as I go off my run every morning, I've watched the progress of the last four or five weeks. And it's almost like so methodical the way they build the Starbucks. Now there's cabinet people that come in one day, they put it together. But I was really struck by the fact that before all of the kind of Starbucks looking stuff was up, I looked back and on the wall were all of the regulatory things. I actually thought of you (laughs) because I was looking and I I was actually struck that it went up so early, but I'm like, there's somebody's job in every one of these, you know, organizations. And especially as they build out these company stores that make sure they cover their ass, right. That they have all that stuff. And I can't imagine, especially with startups and other companies building, that they've got that same kind of thing happening, right? A big company like Starbucks does, but you're representing the average entrepreneur who either has it as the 19th thing on their plate to deal with, or even worse, isn't aware of it, right? It's almost like a a very important person that nobody wants to meet that you're representing. And it's not even top of mind. It's not even top of mind. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're walking into your restaurant or your house or your office and the door handle doesn't work, you got to fix it. But it's not even top of mind that you need this stuff Mm -hmm. until it happens. And then there's very little forgiveness from the various government agencies. Yeah. I got to ask you, what happens in these remote? So everybody's gone remote since COVID. Not everybody's going back so quickly. What's the expectation and requirement for communication when People aren't in an office or in a store or in a place of work like they typically had been prior. I'm going to say what Paul is thinking while you're asking the question. As he's 
hearing your question about this specific matter, he says, it's a beautiful thing. God bless America. It's not only beautiful. God bless America. I mean, so I, it's a, it's interesting you say that. So sometimes there's also luck in life. Okay, you got to look at this luck. Fifty percent, I would say, is luck, right? So yeah. we have a a public company that we service all their clients that get when they activate a new client, we send them a physical labor law poster and other items. They connected with us two years ago and said. We need a remote worker platform, and we designed one. And I can go into how I did it with who, not how afterwards. And so pre-COVID, we already had technology in place that was based upon the zip code of the worker. The system populates all the mandatory notices, which are city, county, federal, in addition, of course, to state regulations. And I actually just patented this platform recently because there's another pain point, Steve, that now that COVID's out there and we've patented this, is that when the worker, so let's say that you have an employee that worked in Chicago, okay? And now I have this exact scenario. Let me give you an exact scenario. I have an amazing client services person lives in Tennessee. Three weeks ago, we're on a Zoom call, and I look, and I go, that doesn't look like your living room. She says, no, I moved to Arizona. Well, guess what? As an employer, I'm obligated to provide her the necessary information she needs for Arizona and also make sure that I sever my relationship with Tennessee. So we actually just filed a patent where the IP address of the worker when they review the posters could notify the HR manager that potentially they have a worker that's relocated into another jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah. So we patented a platform, Steve, for remote workers specifically for that. We have several hundred thousand users on it right now. And COVID didn't hurt us when we launched it, I must say. <laughs> we couldn't have had a better time to push it out. So we have a patented platform for that. Mm-hmm. I want to dig into something you breezed past with that comment, which is the partners you have in your business that seem to be more collaborators versus internally run parts of your company or even service providers. It seems like you have built a collaboration machine here to make all this work. Well, thanks to Coach, you know, Coach has provided thinking tools and the way I thought prior to Coach and the way I think now is very different. So prior to Coach, I had, you know, close to 70 employees, if you take part-time and full-time. You know, it's it's not fun. I got to be honest, if you're an entrepreneur, managing people isn't exactly the funnest part of being an entrepreneur. And I didn't love it. Now, I love my A players. I love my A players. Spend lots of time with my A players. When you have that many, you got B's and C's. I just don't have fun anymore. So I looked at the business and I said, what can I do to change that? And I looked at my business model. I looked at everything, but I made sure that I thought about it all the time. And I innovated my business, Steve, in order to change it. So one was I turned it into a reoccurring revenue model. I actually shed $2 million of revenue to commit that will only do reoccurring revenue. 
And I remember my team, because we do EOS, and you know, you have to say, what is your revenue in one year, three year, five year? I said, we're going down by 2 million. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> we're supposed <laughs> to go up. <laughs> I go, no, we're just going to do reoccurring revenue. <laughs> and then how are you going to do it? So Steve, one of the things that always inspired me, and I've always thought about it. So I remember buying a Dell computer, you know, in the mid 90s, you know, 2000s, even recently you buy a computer. It comes preloaded with McAfee software or semantic software. And I love that. Every time I bought a computer and I turned it on, I'm going, oh my God, it's built in, it's hardwired. And I've always wanted to be hardwired in a platform or in a system. Mm -hmm. And if somebody turns it on, I'm there. So Dan, that's what I, we do is we basically mm -hmm. integrate with business services. And the way that we did it is we designed our solutions in a very affordable reoccurring revenue model that benefit brokers can give it away. CPAs can give it away. Payroll companies can decide to charge or to be able to give it away. But we pre-installed and we also put a great guarantee on it that makes it a, you just can't not do it. It's frictionless. Mm -hmm. It's frictionless. So what's the revenue model there, Paul? And what are the ranges people have to pay, organizations have to pay to kind of be able to offer to their clients? Because it sounds like you're going upstream to distribute. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I got one client who pays us $2 million a year. Okay. And it's, you know, we service about 60,000 of their customers. So it ranges. Now, if they're putting harassment prevention into the suite and they're putting the remote worker into the suite, and they're putting in the physical poster, it can range about $8 a month per company, which isn't a lot, okay? That's all I charge. You know, when I came to live here in the United States, there was a, it just fascinated me, family fitness, they call it now a change to 24-hour fitness. And they only charge $5 a month. <laughs> I actually recently, this is 20 years, 25 years, they're still taking $5 out of my bank accounts. <laughs> I haven't been there in 25 years. I well, that's a whole other conversation, Paul. <laughs> yeah, but the interesting thing here, you know, and I really want our viewers to do this, is how many other people's capabilities he's working through. Yeah. In other words, it isn't just the payroll company, it's the brokers who actually set up benefits plans and payroll plans you know, for individual businesses. I mean, he's just taken the entire ecological system that's around the informing of employers, what you need to be informed about. And he's just tapped into every person and given them a new capability that makes their life easier. Yeah, we do it for associations. Okay, so if you look at an association, what is the business of an association is membership. It's the number one thing. Mm -hmm. An association, so that's how they earn their money. So if we can help them add value to the cost of a membership for the end user, then it's a frictionless mm -hmm. experience. Right. So that's the mindset is always to make the product frictionless and to give them an unbelievable offer, an irresistible offer is what they say. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, that Steve, we've talked about this before you know, one of the big questions when people aren't in the free zone, but they're in the 10 times level, 
of coach, they'll say, but what holds the relationship together that you can trust the other party? And I said, well, it's really interesting because most people's thinking goes to, well, we've got really good lawyers, you know, that hold it together or, you know, the cash flow is really good. But what I'm seeing more and more is that there's a commitment on the part of all the collaborators to the end user. Correct. They really want to do good for the end user. And in this this case, the end user is employers. You know, yeah. Everybody there wants to do a good job for the same person. That's what holds it together now. And it also holds it together 20 years from now. Correct. And then you back up. And now what you're doing is that you're actually combining your capabilities with other people's capabilities to create a capability that none of their competitors have and none of your competitors have. Yeah, you know, I have some competitors that do extremely well, Dan. I don't play in their playground. To me, it just doesn't feel like the right playground. What you said right now is exactly true, that the villain resolving the collaborator if it's the association, the benefit broker, helps their member or their client overcome this villain, which is regulation. And I happen to be another weapon that the employer or the association can provide the employer to help overcome it. But take us backstage in the business, Paul, a little bit of what, as Dan outlined those collaborations to deliver this service. How many different who's if you will, do you have that are not employees of the organization that you are collaborating with to deliver this? You don't have to name names, but like how many? So I'll I'll set it up for you. Okay. So we ship most probably over 700,000 packages and we have active subscribers on our platform. A year, a month, a quarter, a day. On on a year. On a year. 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 Okay. The automate, we have about 300,000 active subscribers on our systems and our platform. Subscribers being employers. Employers, yeah. Yeah. Or employees now because of the other products. And we run it with 14 employees. So 14 full-time employees that do this. If this was 10 years ago, I'd have 250 to 300 people working for me. Mm -hmm. So how I did it was actually Shannon Waller. I have to give it to her first, okay? So when I was at Coach, one day there's all those fancy books that you see on that bookshelf. And I saw this thing called Multiplication by Subtraction. It spoke to me and I read this book and then I read it again and it's not a big book. What happened was, most probably most people that are entrepreneurial are very loyal. And you know, you basically hold on to people maybe too long, your legacy people. And, and I read this book and this book was fascinating to me because it gave me a platform on how still to take care of my legacy employees and then, you know, maybe substitute them with who's that are different. And I think if I look back, that was the number one thing for me was to release me. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I set them up in businesses. So a bunch of my legacy employees that my business grew, like a marketing guy, he's got a marketing, I'm still a client, but I set them up in businesses. The second thing I did is I hired a, third-party person, a project manager, to document everything we do. And that was another flaw that I found. Every time I needed a worker to document whatever the steps they do in their business, it always didn't work. So I hired, I spent $100,000 on a project manager and 
It took me a year. We documented everything. An external resource? Well, well yeah, independent contractor. Independent contractor. Yeah, but you found that somebody outside the organization to do it. Okay. Yes, but independent contractor that came in to do that, but sat with every single person and what they do and did a Gannett chart. And then we put it into a program called Process Street, but then everything was documented. Yeah. Once it was documented, by the way, and when she did this, she would come back to my office. She'd say, do you know that we're still doing a process for a client that left you six years ago? <laughs> so we were spending time doing things. It was the best investment, but that was my first who that I brought in that wasn't connected to anybody in my company. I didn't want an internal person. And that was my biggest breakthrough that I had. A year later, everything's documented. Then once it was documented, that's when we understood, okay, how can we outsource as much of this as possible because everything is out there. Yeah. So for example, I got six people in El Salvador that work with client services. Unbelievable what they do, unbelievable. They speak unbelievable English. They're fantastic. I think we pay $1,500 a month per person. And it comes with the manager. We don't mess with hiring. We don't fire. Yeah, we well, the thing I'd like to point out here, because we can take a natural break here, because I'd like to talk about the combination after we come back for the second session of the episode here, that the only way you can multiply is, first of all, you have to simplify yeah. You have to simplify at the center if you want to multiply outwards. And then to talk about the quality of talent that you need, once you've simplified down and you've got everything simplified inside, the kind of talent you go for then, it's not delegation, it's who people. Yeah. You don't have to tell these people how to do their job. They know how to do their job better than you. So I'd like to talk about that sure. when we come back. Steve? Yeah, I mean, my insight, which is relevant for this session, but I've said this to Paul before, is his unique ability is such that he doesn't see it as special as others probably see it. Once you unpack how you got here, that is the most fascinating part of what you're solving for, because it's the Paul from 20 years ago that you're serving. And I find it fascinating how you're oversimplifying it in a good way. Mm -hmm in something that seems so complicated that people avoid it. And I think that's a really magical way to do it. More importantly, you didn't tell me that you grew your organization from 14 to 40 or 400. You reduced the headcount and you work with really good talent outside, which is what we do as well. But I think you're doing it in a really unique way. And globally, how many companies you touch with that oversimplified structure is pretty fascinating. There's something I need to add that can only work with outside talent because the 14 that I have are freaking Navy SEALs, okay? <laughs> they are triple A plus friends and, mm -hmm. and employees. Mm -hmm. So the 14 I have are specialists and that's what makes it happen yeah. is the team that I have. I also say I was pleasantly happy to hear you say Shannon Waller's book, Multiplication by Subtraction, was, and it wasn't about a chainsaw. And oh. something that, because that's her big thing now, you know, she, she's, no, she's into watercolor now. She's, uh, actually, <laughs> she still does the odd tree here or there, but she's really into watercoloring now. Yeah. 
Anyway, we'll catch you on the other side with this. Paul, it's fascinating. And I want to tell you right from the first time I met you, you're a great storyteller. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And that I think is part of your unique ability is that you can tell great stories that make complex matters really simple. Thank you, Dan. It's probably the dyslexia helps with that. (laughs) Take care, guys. (laughs) 